Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Video podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny, and this is Malby on the Spot, your weekly or so chance to catch up with the Liverpool and Denmark legend that is Jan Malby as we reflect on what's been going on in the Liverpool universe. And Jan, it has been a story of... Uh, frustration uh, on many levels of late since even since we spoke last uh, a couple of uh, results if you want to put them that way that we wouldn't have seen coming or well we could have seen coming but we certainly would have hoped didn't wouldn't come the uh, elimination from the FA Cup and then the sitting on our hands as everybody else seemed to be throwing money at the wall so we'll take the two things in that order um because I think the transfer and the business done by other clubs is going to take up quite a bit of our chat. Um, In terms of the elimination for the FA Cup, I've seen an awful lot of mixed chat about this. Now, as a man who has a very storied history with that competition, I'm sure you don't ever like to see it diminished or or run down or or, or thought of in any way that's second rate. Um, But I've seen... A few eternal optimists, Jan, were saying, well, look, it's one, it's a few less games to play, at least one less game to play, and what we need to do now is concentrate on fourth. And I thought, well, I admire your uh, uh, forced optimism, uh, my friend, but fourth place seems a far bigger ask than winning that particular trophy would have been, in my opinion. Uh, I could be wrong. What was your feelings on exiting that FA Cup in terms of, the impact it might have on the season. Disappointing. Uh, you know, and I, I could have lived with, with, with another game, uh, which, which is early March. and It's a midweek fixture. Uh, I, I, I could have easily lived with, a, with another game. Some of my friends text me and go, oh, well, it's only the FA Cup. And I thought, well, you know, what, what, what we got? I mean, what are we actually looking at? I'm not particularly looking forward to the Real Madrid tie in the Champions League. We can... We can we we can talk about finishing fourth, uh, but but then that would almost be us lying to ourselves, you know, and suggesting that everything's going to be okay. And and probably the biggest nod we had in terms of that was the club decided in January, which is the last chance when you can help yourself for the rest of the season. They decided that it's not worth it uh, because because they almost look at it and think top four looks highly unlikely, isn't it? But you, I know we're going to talk about transfers of other clubs, Trevor. You look at all the clubs that he's been spending, they're all the ones, more or less, aren't they, that think either getting relegated or they think they've got a chance of getting into Europe or they've got a chance of winning the league, isn't it? And and then there's, there is us, isn't it, that you kind of go, it looks like a bit of a gamble. It looks like the club is prepared to say, we'll, we'll almost dismiss this season and then we'll rebuild in the summer. We've done it before. We've done it before successfully. It's 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 a big ask, isn't it? Because what's happening around us, isn't it? There's a lot going on around us. 
there's a lot going on around us and it seems I, like there's no point i think in reflecting too much except for one further question maybe about it uh obviously we had a lineup uh, which i think most people were reasonably positive about uh but there's two aspects of the match that i want to just talk to you about and what it is that jürgen's doing with the team currently um now, I think he did say that Fabinho and certainly Henderson had knocks. Um, I wonder would they definitely have started if it wasn't for that. But there is a bigger question. So we went with the midfield of Thiago and, 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 and Bacetic and Naby Keita. And I think if they're performing all three at their top level, it's a formidable enough midfield. It's an exciting midfield. It's a progressive midfield. And there's a bit of energy there from the kid and from Naby and Tiago's guile and if it's going well it could be very good but I was very interested in the in the, the the formation that he went with across the top now you could say that it was justified in that we get the goal from Harvey and he plays quite well in that first half um, but it just seems sort of endlessly remarkable to me that Mo Salah despite what all the people, increasingly desperate people who are quoting numbers and stats Mo Salah is clearly not the player that he was and I'm not saying he won't be again at all, I'm just saying he's not in he's, in, he's not in that form or anything like it and hasn't been since for a year or so, maybe a little bit more um, and he he's marooned out in that right flank and not impacting games Harvey who we know can do a good job on that side uh, cutting in and who has played quite a bit on that side is pushed over to the left-hand side where he had been actually pretty ineffective in a previous match. And we're soldiering on with Cody Gakpo as our sort of target man, false nine, out and out nine, depending on what way the the the, the attack is forming at any given time. Our hold-up man, our, our target man, for want of a better word, link play mer- merchant. Um, I think this is sort of deliberately trying to put square pegs into round holes. Uh, it it's it's it does my brain in, yeah. I I can feel I can feel the brain actually crunching, looking at it, going, "What is Kloppo trying to do? It's overcomplicated." This kid Gakpo that we bought was going to help us out when Diaz was absent. We thought because this is where he has been absolutely tormenting defences coming from that left side. Yes, he did a job in a more central role for Holland in the World Cup, but holy shit, we didn't sign him for that, surely. And yet there he is. Uh, Mo, who we need to be in middle and central and getting shots away instead of sort of out on the flank, not in, in influencing the game as much. He was slightly better in the last game, but really has been out of sorts. Um, would be far better central. And Harvey would be far better on the opposite flank. I can't understand the logic of this. I feel like a charlatan, though, saying that because who the hell am I? As someone with your history in the game and observation um, of it, does anything I'm saying make sense to you, or do you see a sense to that lineup and that positioning of those front three that I can't see? Uh, let's start with. I mean, you you watch football long enough to have, to be be allowed an opinion. You know what you're looking at. Uh, so you look at how the three of them started, and you you sort of feel that if Harvey's going to play in the front three, he's better on the right. Uh, so is Mo. Gak was definitely better on the left. Would you then play? I know what he's trying to do. We're missing Bobby. Uh, you know, as much as we, we we maybe a year ago thought Bobby's influence at Liverpool was waning a little bit in it, but we're missing Bobby. What he's trying to do with Gakpo is for Gakpo to drop deep for us to create those spaces that we lived off for years. With Bobby dropping deep, Sadio Mane and Mo Salah taking advantage of the spaces that was left behind. Uh, and all that it's wistful, isn't it? I fully understand that when David Nunez comes on and people go, why does he not play central? I understand why he's playing wide left and why Mo's on the right. That's because he wants to use their pace in between the space that hopefully Gakpo leaves. The problem is we can't get the ball into those spaces. Mm. You know, we, 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 we've lost something, haven't we? There's Our biggest problem at the moment is moving the ball between the lines moving the ball from the back four into midfield, into the front three. We used to move the ball from the back four into the midfield to our midfield players, didn't we? And then there was, there was a natural progression 
because we used to have an overload because our, our fullbacks would be pushing up. We'd have three cents or we'd have Bobby dropping. So you're talking about six people in an overload situation, creating space for two to run behind who were quick. But all of that is wistful thinking and go, yeah, okay, Gakpo central, them two. But we can't get in those areas anymore. Uh, so it's a massive problem, isn't it? Uh, so when Harvey was on playing wide left, Gakpo through the middle made very little sense apart from. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. He obviously doesn't want no to play centrally, uh, and the only option he has is to play Gakpo there. It made more sense when Nunes came on. Uh, my only thinking with Nunes is, is he 100% ready? He, he Surely he can't be 100% because otherwise you would have gone. Because we've, we've lost we've lost almost a month of football here in, in terms of the results have been crap anyway, haven't they? You know, and think of Nunez, if he was right, could have played games and all that experience would have done the world of good. So it's almost as if Ari's not right or we waiting to reintroduce him when the team is, you know... But I just can't. I just, I just think it's it's a season where we all just dig in, and we just we, all we can do is work. There's never any guarantee you're going to play well. All you can do is work, isn't it? Uh, but I fully understand where the frustrations are. Uh, but I just, I just don't know where we get to. You know, where 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 do we get to when we used to create those chances for Mo and those chances for Sadio Mane? We we just seem incapable. Of, of creating anything at, at, at the moment. And I agree with you that there were some positives from the Brighton game, but I still sit with that feeling at the moment, Trevor. I haven't had this, but I'm sitting with this feeling before every game. It, it, it's not going to be our day. We'll get our chances. Mo off the line early on. Mo clean to scuffs one. Uh, Harvey Elliott had another one where Lamsey gets back. We, 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 we don't get it done. We make mistakes defensively. Trent for the first goal, the header. Joe Coleman's for the second. It's it's just written in the stars, isn't it? You know, all them things that where we used to go, where you win games, we are so good in our own box defending, in the opposition, in it. We just score. We take our chances, isn't it? And, and now I just sit with that feeling. I go, yeah, I see it. And I saw the bright star against Brighton. But I never at any stage thought like I would have done two years ago. In another couple of minutes, we were three nil up here and the game's done and dusted. I just never get that feeling anymore. And even to the end, my wife's going, replay. I said, I can't even see you get to the replay. And we were in the 90th minute. You know, mm-hmm. you just think that there's something coming, isn't it? And bang, there it is. You know, things that, things we would have dealt with two years ago in our sleep, whether it's the first cross to the, to the, to the back of the penalty area or whether it's the cross or whether it's blocking, all them things we would have dealt with years ago. Now, and it happens. Those mistakes, both ends, John. Football is a brutal game, isn't it? And the team who makes the fewest mistakes are the teams who win. And I just think that the defensive errors we're making at the moment ain't winners any trophies. Now, it's going to come back into sharp sort of relief and contrast in a second when we look at what everybody else seems to be doing, Jan, um, to build on what they've got or address issues. Um that they feel they have. Um, and after the match, and this is just opinion, you, 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 I'm not trying to put you in a position to make any statement one way or the other, and it's a very divisive issue. But let me just tell you from a fan's perspective, uh, the conversations around the whole FSG thing have changed in tone a little bit um, after the window is shut. I've seen lads who were falling over themselves trying to say, just back Klopp um, 
or it's not FSG's fault, it's Klopp's fault as well, or all sorts of a range of opinions about why things weren't happening. When the window closed and there weren't so many as a couple of loans, uh, a few more sort of slightly better Arthur Mello type deals done. Uh, and when the word being leaked out that there was no value and no availability and stuff like that, I think it's remarkable to watch some of these guys. They've flipped. They've, they're angry at the lack of, of, of addressing of the issues. And, and I, I count myself among those people. I don't feel the need to shout and roar about it. I don't think it does any particular good. But here's where we come to the crux of this question. When Jurgen was asked after that game, uh, there was still a couple of days left before the transfer window closed. And he was asked, uh, you know, the poor bastard of a reporter had to put the question to him. And the way he said that, no, there won't be anything done, um, all good, like this at the end. Uh, to, to me, there was a lot of frustration in that, Jan. And I wonder what you think, because I've heard all sorts of wild opinions. Oh, he's a yes man. Oh, he signed a contract. He's comfortably seeing his time out. And all of these things fly in the face of the character of the man that we've seen so far. It doesn't make any sense to me as a judgment of him. So I'm wondering, is he genuinely really frustrated? Do you think that that's a situation? I thought that's what I was picking up. And I think he just doesn't see any particular benefit in blowing things up like, say, a Rafa would or a Tony Conte would. If they're not getting what they want, they just fucking roll a grenade in there and see what happens. That's not really club style. And I think a lot of people are a bit pissed off at him for that. Does that make sense? What was your take on, on, on that attitude that he seemed to have where he was sort of at least mouthing the words that it's fine, we don't need anyone? I don't for one minute believe that club is a yes man. Uh, I believe he's very much his own man. And I, I think he's proved that. I think that proved, he's proved that in everything he's done ever since he became a manager in terms of the decisions that he's made. Uh, with the clubs he's been with in terms of the choices he's made where, he, where he's decided to go and you can look at and many people won't remember Dortmund before he took over what mess they were in isn't it you know and all them things isn't it so he's not a yes man but he's also somebody who understands that for the greater good uh, and the damage you can do by throwing I mean Rafa you know we look back at Rafa and the things that he did uh, and could some of those seasons have turned out different if it hadn't been for some of those things that all of a sudden overshadows uh, the season that you're having. Isn't. So I think Klopp is bright enough to think that what's driving the agenda of most people at the moment is the results, isn't it? and the results are not good. And he's thinking, they got enough ammunition. I don't need to give them any more. Uh, and, and lo and behold, Klopp would have been given some assurances, 100%. Uh, yes, value and profile and all them would have been a part of what they say to him when they go, we will do everything we can, but it has to be the right profile. It has to be the right price. It has to be a player that still has the best years ahead of him. All the things that how we buy players, isn't it? So I think he's frustrated. I think he's pissed off because I, I also think that he thinks like we still do, you know, you still think, Oh, you know, could, could it, could it still happen? And I still think Klopp thinks the same. Klopp is thinking, Give me one. Just give me one that can make a difference. Give me one that's fresh, the head's clear, not weighed down by blah, blah. Give me one and it'll spark again. Listen. So I understand these frustrations, absolutely. Because that's how we are managers, isn't it? You start off with thinking, I'll have five. If you can't get five, but then in the end you go, just give me one. Give me one and it's the right one. It's a spark, isn't it? And that's been the strength of our of our buying over the years, isn't it? The, the spark that whether it was Diaz or Schotts or whoever else, even Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Virgil van Dijk, Allison, they all came in, didn't they? You know, uh, so, so that's what he's still thinking, isn't it? So, but he would have been given some assurances. Uh, that's absolutely sure. And uh, yes, man, I can't have that in a million years. I, I suppose the, the confusion then arises as well for some of us where we're thinking, Okay, say we don't buy into that, and I, I would neither. I'd be very much in agreement with you. Uh, we're talking now about the summer already, and lads are already chatting about the summer, and it kind of sticks in the craw for those of us who think something should have been done now to redeem a situation that's not exactly it wasn't hold beneath the watermark. There was still something that we could do. 
it just feels, you know, like a, a settling. Um, and already people talking about the summer now and this deal and that deal, and it just sort of sticks in the craw a little bit. And you'll hear endless chit chat now about war chests and 250 million this and 250 million that. And it may be the case, but then again, it may be the case that FSG won't even be in charge of the club when it comes to the summer window. And I think that's the biggest uh, problem of all. And I think even if that had been sort of uh, semi-settled over the last couple of months, people might be breathing a little bit easier or able to stomach the concept of an interim season or a rebuild season or a slightly write-off season if we knew there was a new dawn ahead. Do you know what I mean? And yet, even that's denied to us, which is a, that's difficult. I imagine if it's difficult for us as fans, I imagine it's really difficult to work uh, as a player and a manager under that kind of uncertainty. There'll, that there'll be sense? players. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be players, and Klopp is very close with these players. And there will be players, and just to name a few, but he'll be the likes of Henderson and Milner and Van Dijk and whatever. They'll be they'll be talking in. I mean, when I was at Anfield as a young player, you know, I saw, you know, people like Alan Hansen and whatever talking to Kenny, isn't he? You know what I mean? Uh, having a little bit more insight than what we do, and, and and these guys will be going to the manager, going, where are we going here? What's what's happening? You know, uh, because as much as you don't think it's you that needs replacing, but you can also, as a player, see that we need a bit of help. You're not telling me that these experienced players at Liverpool can't see that. The squad needs a bit of help. So they'll be giving the manager notes and going, what's going on, Defa? Are, are you doing anything? And, and I guess he was saying, Warchest, maybe he's saying that, you know, we've got big plans in the summer, but I totally agree with what you said before in terms of the owners, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I guess if you want to sell the club, it, it, it has to become public knowledge, yeah? Uh, so, so we can't criticise them for, for, for that. They did what they had to do and made it public, isn't it? But Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. The fact that we're not further down the line is frustrating. Uh, and I also think that, and this is where there's no hiding places really, Trevor, because you understand how expensive it is to be in the Premier League if you look at what some of the other clubs have done in January. you know. And I'm talking about whether that's Bournemouth or Southampton. You know, the money they spend. Uh, how expensive it is for them to try and achieve what they want to achieve, which is 17, you know. We want to achieve a lot more than that. And you look at Chelsea, who are below us. What kind of outlet they've had, isn't it? It costs a fucking fortune to be successful in the Premier League. But you do get it back with both barrels. Yeah. And you kind of queued us up beautifully to go to that um, topic of what's going on with other clubs um, and the moves that they've made. And I think we should give some time to it because at least there is something to talk about in that regard. We'll come back at the end and we'll look at Liverpool's run of form, fixtures ahead and specifically the Wolves game. Um, but for now, let's just turn our attention to some of the business done by, I'd like to say rivals, but they're not rivals uh, currently for anything because they're just ahead of us. And it's as simple as that. If we start with Arsenal, um, their window was the following. 
they brought in Leandro Trossard for £27 million. They had, of course, been one of the clubs looking to pry Caicedo away from Birmingham. They also got Jakob Kivior from Spezia for £21 million and Jorginho on the, at the last minute there for £12 million from Chelsea, um, which could end up being quite canny indeed. Uh, and I think they lost Cedric Suarez on loan to Fulham. Uh, Marquinhos went out as well. Lacongo went out. In terms of a window uh, for a club who are sitting pretty at the top of the league, uh, and trying to strengthen from a position of strength, what do you reckon to that window by Arsenal? Well, I think we need to add that they also agreed an 80-odd million fee with Shakhtar Donetsk for, for uh, Mudrik that then decided to go to Chelsea instead. And they bid 70 million for Caicedo. So, so again, this is a team that's clear at the Premier League realising what it cost you. Now, they ended up spending, and some people might look and go, but they still end up spending close to 60 million. But they were prepared to spend a lot more. They were, they did understand that this opportunity of being close or ahead of Manchester City can 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 only be maintained by spending money. So how have they done? I think they've done okay. I wouldn't say they're an A or an A plus, but possibly a B. I think they've done okay. I think what was evident once they didn't get Mudrick which I think he, he's going to be a player in Trevor, there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. I think what then became important for Arsenal was to get players who played in the Premier League. You know, and, and then you look at Trossard and you look at Jorginho, they'll be the two of the three that they bought that's going to be playing, isn't they? Both played in the Premier League and I think that was important for Arsenal. Well, if we can't get exactly who we want, let's take players who don't have to settle in. So I think Arsenal have shown, I think they've shown real ambition. And, Maybe not so much in what they got, but in what they got close to getting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. The intent was there. And I think, whereas we may have had some intent, we end up with uh, hands with nothing in them. At least they get in a couple of Premier League solid citizens like Trossard and Jorginho. And as you say, they would probably feature and maybe feature in a title winning season. Villa got in John Duran from uh, Chicago Fire and Alex Moreno from Betis for 13. And they saw a lot of people going out, Danny Ings and uh, Aaron Ramsey and others. But kind of unremarkable enough window. But you mentioned Bournemouth earlier on. And I mean, they really have thrown quite a lot at it. They're sitting third from the bottom um, on 17 points with Wolves on 17 points just above them. Um, West Ham on 18. Oh, sorry. No, hang on. I've got my points all wrong here. Um, yeah, I don't know. Actually, I'm right. But they're having a right go. So they get in this kid called uh, Utara from Lorient for £20 million. Uh, Semenyo comes in from Bristol City uh, to Bournemouth for ten and a half. Uh, they get Darren Randolph over from West Ham on a free. Um, Matthias Vigne from Roma comes in on a loan. Uh, Zabarni comes in from Dynamo Kiev on loan. And a Traore lad from Sassuolo on loan as well. Now, there's a little bit of money got spent there in terms of Utara and Semenyo. Um, what do you make of Bournemouth's attempts to sort of solidify their position and keep themselves in the league? Is that Does that represent enough of an effort on their part, do you think? Yeah, I think they've done really, I think they've done a good job. Uh, and also think that they've just come up from the championship. And I think they're looking at, if we go back down, you will have to spend uh, when you're in the championship with no guarantee. I know there's no guarantee either here, but a lot of these are lone players, aren't they? Uh, and I think they're thinking the easiest and the cheapest option is to spend to stay in instead of to go down and then try and rebuild and try and make your way back up business. So so I like what they've done. Uh, is it enough? Yeah, who knows? Uh, but I like the fact, and I maybe didn't think that Bournemouth would have been as active as they have been, but I like the fact that they've gone, listen, the... the yeah, being in the Premier League is the only place to be, isn't it? We're going to do everything we possibly can uh, to, to, to keep our club up, isn't it? And they, they, they've had a real come. 
Yeah, the bunching in the table is remarkable. So you've got two clubs on 15 points at the, at the bottom, Everton, Southampton. Bournemouth, Wolves, West Ham, Leeds, Leicester, all within a point of each other on 18 or 17 points respectively from 14 down to 18. Uh, that is remarkable. That's like just concertina in really tight. So any efforts being made are going to have to uh, bear some fruit, you'd like to think. Brentford, we won't talk about them. They didn't do a whole lot. Uh, more people going out than in. They got a kid in from Freiburg on loan. Brighton, again, um, small enough business. Uh, a kid from Rosario Central, which I presume is an Argentinian club. Um, another guy from AIK, uh, Yasin Ayari, for three and a half million. But no big business apart from the Trossard sale. Uh, I'm going to save Chelsea because, holy shit, that's a remarkable story. Crystal Palace did a few bits. They got um, Ahmada from Stuttgart and Lakanga from Arsenal on loan. Butland went to United on loan from them. But Everton's one that we we should look at. Because if we look at the table, Jan, I just mentioned Everton, their joint bottom. And if we are frustrated as Liverpool fans, holy shit, can you imagine being a blue nose tonight? They literally got nothing in. They let their prized local gem, Anthony Gordon, go. And it seems to have left a bad taste in the mouth of... Fans, I'm not sure it was a thing he said or the way it was done, but anyway, he's gone. They also lost Rondon. I don't know if that's a massive uh, uh, loss to them. A fella called Tom Cannon left, Broadhead left, some other other assorted various people went off on loans from the club. But Gordon's the big loss there in terms of their squad. Um, they get £45 million for him. So I have a couple of questions there. First of all, and we might as well talk about Newcastle in relation to this Um I have I have still to see 45 million worth of uh, 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 value in Gordon. I think there's a bit of hype about the kid. Again, I could have a very wrong take on that. But how about the concept of them doing nothing to address the situation that they're in? It is remarkable. It's almost like acceptance on, on a level that we're talking about with the Reds. I think we could do a whole podcast on Everton, Trevor. Uh, it, yeah, it, it is. It is quite a situation they find themselves in. Uh, to sell Anthony Gordon, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I don't see it either. And believe me, Trevor, if he does come good, it won't just be me and you. There'll be a whole 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 host lining up and saying, "I didn't see that one coming." Uh, I always thought the idea was when you sell a homegrown talent for forty-five million. That is 45 million of profit, yeah. And that goes straight into your account. And then that gives you that money to spend. And I thought that was the plan. I thought that's why it was so important to sell mm-hmm. Anthony Gordon, because you'd get that 40, well, 40 plus five ready to go. And then they go out and spend, isn't it? Uh, and to think, to think that they didn't have their players lined up is quite incredible, isn't it? They have a director of football. They have, I know that the manager, but they have a director of football. The fact that, and they must have surely promised Sean Dice something. They must have said, you know, we're going to do, not we're going to try and see what we can do. No, we're going to do. And I also believe that, I haven't seen this quote, but I believe that the chairman also said in January to a fan in an interview that we will at least be bringing in one striker in January. And then to end up in the position they're in, it's, <laughs> Trevor, it's fucking criminal. It is criminal. I wonder if you're Daishi there now tonight, are, who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but like you, I would imagine he was promised something. I'm looking at that appointment, and I know they flirted with Bielsa, and there was some mad crack about Bielsa and how he wanted to approach the job about sitting back and letting someone else do it. He was going to look at the kids and then Trevor, uh, bring... Yeah. Do you know when I saw that story? Yeah. I didn't believe that story. Did you believe it when you saw it? No, no, not at all. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it is 100% true. He wanted He's, himself yeah. to run the academy and the under-23s while his people would run the first team. And then in the summer, he would join his people with the first team. Wow. I mean, he's a one-off, and I, I love that it's a true story. I fucking love it's a true story. Uh, 
But the lad who ended up with the job, probably because of uh, uh, our pal's mad requests, is Sean Dyche. And I'm wondering, for me, Dyche is in a couple of categories here. He could be safe pair of hands type, no one can give out to us. We've done our best there in terms of appointment. He could be, here's the guy who can fight fires and keep us up. Or he could be, here's a guy who will stay with us and bring us back up. I'm wondering what you think Dyche is by way of an appointment. That's a tricky one. You look at that Burnley team who finished seventh. Sean Dyche took Burnley to seventh in the Premier League. I mean, that is remarkable, isn't it? You know, yeah. and, and, and that man will surely never have to buy his own pie or pint in Burnley ever again. Surely they are free for life. Uh, those luxuries, isn't it? I just, I, I just, you know, people call him a firefighter. I don't think he is. I think he's a, a guy that it takes time. And I don't think he's ever been thrown into a situation like this where you go, we need results now. You know, he's, he's come up with Burnley uh, from the championship, but with an established team that played Sean Dice football. This Everton team, coming from Frank. And Frank had ideas of playing a brand that maybe didn't suit the players, but it is what it is. To now playing Sean Dice football, uh, which I guess in many ways will be a, a very tight version of 4-4-2. Uh, again, looking at the players and thinking, in fact, Everton haven't got players. There is not a football system that suits the players at Everton. You, you would have to invent a new way of fucking playing. It is horrendous. So, do I think Sean Dice is a good appointment? No. But what's on his side and in his favour, but only halfway through the season, and there is some other pretty horrific teams, although most of them have, 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 have tried uh, to improve their squads. So, Everton are in big trouble. Yeah, yeah, he's got what he's got. It's going to be interesting to see if he can do anything with it. Fulham uh, did get in a Lukic from Torino and Suarez on loan from Arsenal. They lost Knockhart on a loan to Huddersfield. Leeds, who are also in that danger danger zone, went for it. They got in a fellow called Jorginho Rutter from Hoffenheim. Max Fober, who we've heard a bit from Salzburg. Weston McKenney from Juventus on loan, which was uh, one not many people saw coming. And um, uh, uh, Diogo Montero from Servette. Uh, they did lose Click, Mateus Click, to DC United. Um, and Joe Gellart went to Sunderland on loan. And Diego Llorente went to Roma on loan. What do you make of that window? Because, again, Leeds are in the kind of danger zone there. Um, but there's a little bit of intent there. I mean, what's that? To, to 40, 50 million at least uh, spent on transfers and a couple of reasonably decent loans in as well. There is still a massive question mark uh, against the manager, Jesse March. Uh, okay. And I understand that because it's a result business that we're in. But I don't think he can deny that he's brought in some really exciting players, some young, exciting players. Last summer, uh, he brought in Tyler Adams and, and, and Brendan Harrison and the uh, Italian boy and, 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 and Noncho and a few others. But I think the key to it all, Trevor, although Rodrigo is their top scorer, I think the key to it all is, is Patrick Bamford. If they can get him fit, keep him fit, I think he'll be able to link it all together. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There's something about Leeds that just doesn't feel right. I like, there's a lot of their players that I like, but there's something that just doesn't feel right to me. You know, and I look at them and I watch them play and I watched them play the other week on Sky against Villa and they were much the better team, but they lost the game and there's just something there, Trevor, that I don't know. I, I fear for Leeds as much as I look at their players and I go, wow, there's some really young, exciting players. I don't know. There's just something that ooh, doesn't sit right with me. 
Yeah, the guys just informed us as well that apparently Weston McKenney is a 30, 35 million option to buy in the summer as well. And that guy from Servette was an undisclosed fee. I meant to mention that as well. So there's some money has changed hands there. So yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's hard to understand what's going on there, what exactly they're going for. Leeds, who are also in some financial bother, uh, or sorry, Leicester, who are a little bit of financial bother and who are only sitting on 18 points. Like I say, the, the northernmost of those clubs who are all within a point of each other uh, uh, at the, at, towards the foot of the table. They had, again, apart for a, a team that has no money or is in trouble, they've gone out and gotten Victor Christensen in from Copenhagen, uh, which we were talking about before the mics went live, before my visit. They've got <laughs> Harry Souter from Stoke City uh, for $15 million. Uh, So that's 15 17 That's what's that, $32 million spent. Um, I get a kid in from Syracuse University on, uh, uh, on an undisclosed fee, and, and Matthias Tete from Shakhtar. Donetsk in on loan. I, uh, I Iosi Perez went to Betis and Mark Albrighton went to West Brom um, of the first teamers or first team squad that people would have known. Leicester, what do you make of that? Yeah, and it's hard to hard to understand what's happening there exactly uh, with the club in general, with the manager. There's a lot of grumbling about finances and stuff like that. Is that showing enough intent, Christensen and Suter? Well, probably not. I think Christians will need a bit of time. Uh, he looks a very exciting uh, young player. Uh, and Sutar, he's a giant of a centre-half, uh, but he's come from, from the championship. Can he go in and make a difference? I don't know. I look at Leicester and I almost think that too good to go down. Uh, but then when I think, when you look deeper and you go, hmm, where is... So a few years ago, we were talking about Pereira as one of the best fullbacks in, in the country, but injuries and he's not found his form. Centre-halves, Fofana, but Fofana's gone now. Sunchu's never found his form. Johnny Evans is injured. Uh, and I think their biggest problem is is up front. You look at Patson Daka, who I thought would have been better by now. Uh, but the more I see, evidently, that he's never going to be a regular goal scorer in the Premier League. Ian Adso, I like as a squad player. Nice touch. He's a cool goal scorer. But again, not sharp enough to get enough goals. And Jamie Vardy, one goal all season. they got big problems. Uh, and again, a bit like Leeds, I look at them, and we spoke about this before the World Cup. What would the World Cup do to various clubs? Well, the World Cup has been a disaster for Leicester because just before the World Cup, they picked up one or few games since it's been a disaster. You know, and spending money, but almost casually almost arrogant spending money for the future you know when you're kind of thinking what about now what about right now Hmm. (laughs) yeah familiar story uh city (laughs) who are five points off the top uh and, and, and I believe they have a game more played than Arsenal. I could be wrong there. I, I will double check that. Um, but right. I think that's right. So possibly you have to think pessimistically if you're City, that's eight points um, off the top. They have decided to keep the squad. They have, uh, you know, God love them with their ridiculously small squad of, of average players. Uh, I think a, a fellow called Perona came, came in from Vela Sarsfield. But for me, the interesting story about City was uh, in a window uh, where, you know, the like I say, there's that gap. They're nowhere near their just glorious best and Arsenal have their tails up. They allowed... Joe Cancelo to go to Bayern Munich on a loan with I think a, an option to buy and also another guy who's been absolutely central to them um, their their um, mercurial attacker um, who I'm not awfully fond of but uh, fond of as a fella but wow he's a very good footballer Bernardo Silva was apparently also available for uh, getting uh, should anyone come in and, and, and do the right kind of deal now, that to me suggests that perhaps those two guys were not exactly what Guardiola wants around his squad. And I wonder, is he one of those guys who, if you're out with Guardiola, you're out? Do you think that might be what happened in the case of those two chaps? It looks that way. Uh, I mean, in the summer, they sold three players, two to Arsenal and Sterling to Chelsea. And people said, why did you do that? And I believe they did it because those players asked to move. They, those players said, I prefer to move away from here. 
uh, in Sinchenko and, 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 and Gabriel Jesus' case, they wanted to play more and Sterling wanted a new challenge. Uh, I even believe that Sterling thought he might have been able to go back to Liverpool. Uh, so that's what City do. You know, if you don't want to be a City, they will try and explore and see if they get rid of you. Uh, but I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Bernardo Silva is a strange one, isn't he? He's a really good footballer. And of course, Xiao Cancelo, who... He's just a Manchester City player, isn't he? He's a Manchester City fullback. He's attacking. He makes, he makes great decisions in the final third. You know, he's a, he's a terrific footballer. And what a good signing he is for Bayern Munich, isn't he? So, and also... Almost, again, casually, we're letting him go and we're not looking to replace him. Leaving themselves with, OK, Nathan Ake has done well as a left-back, but the, 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 the young boy, Gomez, that he brought in from Anderlecht and Lewis and Walker as right-back. Lewis is playing a lot at the moment. I'm not 100% sure he's at that level yet. Uh, and I can see, should Walker get injured? I almost feel like saying... Why wouldn't he? Because Kyle Walker almost always gets injured, doesn't he? You know, he's at that age now, isn't he? And I'm thinking, should he get injured? They, they've left themselves in a situation that they created themselves. You know, I, I find it amazing that Schalkenzeller went because he wants to play more. Same for all footballers who doesn't play, surely. You know, if you don't play, you want to play more, isn't it? Is that enough? Disruptive? But, you know, surely we... Every squad with 25 and all the youngsters, every club has to deal with that, don't they? You know, unhappy players. So it's a bizarre one. Speaking of bizarre ones, we've got Man United in fourth position. And currently they have a good tight grip on that because they have a game less played than Spurs, who are three points behind them. And they're level with Newcastle, who may or may not last the pace in that top four. So they're in a decent, healthy position, Manchester United. Uh, but they've decided to go on the cheap in this particular transfer window. They got rid of Ronaldo and the trouble and the wages and all the rest of it. The kid, Axel Twanzebe, went out to um, Stoke. Um, but they've gotten in Marcel Sabitzer, which seems like a canny enough move on loan. Jack Butland has come from Crystal Palace on loan. And Vout Veghorst has come from Burnley on loan. And it has this sort of whiff of penny-pinching business that you might expect from a club that's not Manchester United. Uh, I wonder what you make of that business. Do you Again, is there a level of arrogance about them there that they're quite confident they have enough in that squad now to hang on in that position at least uh, and see the job out? Uh, are they looking around them and saying, not a whole lot of threat this year, we should be fine, we'll address the squad with some useful additions, uh, but not necessarily anyone who's going to pull up trees? What do you think of that business? I think they're a little bit in the same position as we are in terms of ownership. Uh, also, Manchester United is up for sale. And I think the Glazier, who at the best of times don't have appetite uh, for spending an awful lot of money, have decided that no more money. Plus, they've overspent in the last two windows. Uh, and I also think that they're quite impressed with the job that Ten Hag has done. Uh, and they've still got a couple of players to come back. Anthony Martial uh, and Jaden Sanjo, Sanjo, Sanjo to come back into the squad. So that should improve. And my biggest problem with Manchester United is that 
people are telling me that Val Vecos is a good signing. I don't see that. I don't see him as a good signing. Uh, Manchester United mainly are the best when they play on a counter-attack. But you can't play on a counter-attack with a guy who can't run. It's as simple as that. Uh, Sabitzer, I agree with you. I think he's a really good player. I like him. He's a smart player. Uh, he's got a little bit of everything in him. He can, he can also take part in, in, in the sort of high-energy press. So I like him. And of course, he was brought in because of the injuries to Kirsten Eriksen. He's out for three months, so they had to do something. But again, he was alone. It was alone because, as I said before, they don't want to spend and they have overspent. My biggest concern with Manchester United, in fact, it's not really a concern, but I think too many of the same players are being asked to play and play and play. And let's not forget, they're still in four competitions. They're still in the Europa League. They're on their way to the final of the Carabao Cup and they're still in the FA Cup, isn't it? And it's the same players, you know, the same players will be playing the two semi-finals against Forest. He, he put a strong team out against Reading in the FA Cup, isn't it? I don't know whether they're going to run out of gas or even worse, injuries might affect them because they are still very vulnerable. We could do this all day and Nottingham Forest signed another 57 players to bring their total to 146 or whatever it is. Remarkable stuff. I mean, they are, they're the polar opposite of Liverpool. They just keep throwing shit at the wall and see what sticks. I kind of admire it in the way that I admire the same attitude from Chelsea. Uh, we're going to talk about them in a second. Southampton got in a kid called Suleimana. They have uh, Onuachu from Genk and uh, Carlos Alcaraz from Racing, uh, a kid from Zagreb called Orsic. They're having a go. Spurs, uh, after Tony Conte's bit of a, a, a strop, got in uh, a fullback, Pedro Porro from Sporting Lisbon, highly rated. And they nicked Dan Juma from Villarreal uh, under the noses of Everton, which was good crack for us as well. But we have to finish. Uh, before we have a quick look at the Liverpool match and people will notice how little time we're giving to that because we're both a bit shell-shocked these days. We have to talk about Chelsea and the remarkable window which saw them get Enzo Fernandez for uh, a British record uh, on deadline day. Uh, Mudrick for £88 million. Christopher Nkunku from Leipzig for £63 million signed. Benoit Badishile uh, for Monaco, £35 million. They got in Gusto, Malo Gusto from Lyon for 263 Madueke from PSV for £26 million. Uh, Andre Santos from Vasco da Gama for £18 million. Fafana from Malda for eight. And Joe Felix, we, we've heard all the stories about and saw, who came on loan from Atletico Madrid. All of this only with the loss of Jorginho uh, uh, to make up 12 million of the, uh, you know, whatever it is, nearly well over half a billion that's been spent uh, by Big Todd Bowley and his pals. It is a remarkable statement of intent, if nothing else, Jan. And I will openly admit as a fan to being utterly envious of it. I've seen fellas sitting up on their high horse saying, well, these signings don't make any sense. And from a football perspective and stroking the chin and chatting about um, uh, the logic and, and, and what's this? It's a crazy, it's a crazy. Maybe it is, but I, I don't think that's going to keep you warm at night. What will keep what will keep me warm at night is the idea of eight new wonderful footballers, some of who may end up being world beaters. And I know it's financial doping and all the rest of it, but. Man, those Chelsea fans must be excited. What a what an unbelievable statement of intent that was. And that's exactly what it is, isn't it? It's intent, isn't it? And that's all football fans. Football is about hope, isn't it? You know, and and, yeah. and, and if you haven't got it in your squad, where do you get hope from? Uh, and I think Todd Bowley's understood that. Football is about hope, isn't it? Football is about it. And Americans, typical American, is about being able to sell something to your punters, to your supporters, isn't it? And he's now selling that the idea of whether we agree or disagree with the type of players, but he's now selling the idea that we're buying young and exciting, obviously for the future. And there's nobody can go, but they're not, because they are. And to sign all these players, 20, 21, 22, 23, on six, seven, eight-year contracts, and he's going, this is our plan. So after a while, eventually, I think, and I do believe this, Trevor, eventually, a football squad, a football team will emerge from this. It can't be any other way. Eventually, 
they'll have himself a team. And that's why when we were talking about before, with Liverpool and what's happening around us, City and Arsenal are better than us at the moment. Manchester United on the right tracks. Chelsea are surely on the right tracks, isn't it? There's things to be worried about in terms of next season we'll have a go, we'll get in the top four, because there is things happening around us, and one of them is Chelsea. You know, and I think eventually, whether it's Graham Potts or not, but eventually I think they'll... I think I think they bought too many good players for them not be able to, to make it a really, really good team out of what they got. It won't be for the remainder of this season because they'll have all sorts of problems and they won't be able to register some of them for the Champions League and whatever, isn't it? But I think eventually we're all going to be looking and going, good old Chote, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to watch that. And we'll finish with a reference to Wolves. They signed Joe Gomez from Flamenco, uh, Mario Lamina from Nice for nine Gomez, but it was 15 million. They got in Sarabia from PSG for 4.4. Craig Dawson came in um, from West Ham for three. Uh, David Bentley from Bristol and Matthias Cunha from Atletico on loan. There are opponents at the weekend, Jan. And if you look at Honest to God, it's depressing looking at the results for Liverpool and Wolves. Um, Wolves last time I got spanked 3-0 by City. We beat them in the FA Cup. Uh, they did have a win over uh, West Ham in the league, but before that they went out of the EFL Cup to Forest. Um, the two-all draw with us in the in the Cup before that, one-all draw with Villa. They lost 1-0 to United. They did beat Everton uh, at Everton 2-1. And before that, they had won against Gillingham in the uh, EFL round of 16. Our run of results, are, it's just its just appalling. I can't think of a time when we've done this show together that there was a run of results like this. Even when in the bad old days or the bad days of the, the season where the arse fell out of everything when all our defenders got injured, it didn't feel like this. We lose to Brighton in the last one. The one before that is nil-nil with Chelsea. We actually managed a win in the FA Cup before that. 3-0 loss to Brighton before that. Two all with Wolves and a 3-1 defeat to Brentford. That's one of the worst bunches of results I can remember um, talking about as a Liverpool fan for a long, long time. So we're looking at two teams who are coming into this kind of with nothing behind them by way of form. Um, Wolves at least have been enlivened by a couple of signings we'll not get into it in any great detail because honestly there's not a whole lot of point until we see what happens we're kind of in reflecting on games rather than predicting games because I don't think we really know what's going to happen with injuries and all the rest of it but now Kanate's out we've got poor old uh, Nat Phillips who thought he might escape (laughs) he's stuck with us again um just what's your gut feeling on this uh, game against Wolves? Uh, let's be honest, they're on a shit run of form. They're in a lowly position in the league. They're not a threat like Brighton are to us. And yet, I don't have a tremendous amount of confidence going into it because of what a low ebb we're at. I agree. I, I think right this moment in time, Brighton is a better team than us. Uh, I don't think we can say that about Wolverhampton. Uh, but I am surprised that they've done as much business as they did. Uh, I, I know they've got a new manager and whatever, but but I didn't think that they were in the mood for, for investing this type of money. Uh, what they failed to do is bring in a goal scorer. They can't score, uh, so they're obviously going to hope that they can share it around. The only thing that slightly worries me, Trevor, is that, yes, they're a team that don't score many goals, but they brought some dynamic players in. Uh, the one thing that we struggle to cope with. So, again... It's not a game I'm looking forward to. It's strangely enough a game I think we're going to find very, very difficult to win. If I had to push you for a result, do you think I'm I'm sensing a draw from you from the things you're saying there, or do you think, yeah? I think a low-scoring draw. I mean, obviously they're struggling to score, and so are we. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if it, if it's a one-one uh, draw, and I think it'll be one of them again, a bit of a head scratcher. As, as 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 we come away from the game on Saturday, where you kind of go, not sure what to make of that, because that's where we're at the moment. Is not quite sure. Some positives against Brighton, but another loss, and some clear mistakes by our players, isn't it? So yeah, I have to be honest. I'm not really looking forward to. It. <laughs> 
which is what um, listeners Jan has been saying about the fucking podcast on a regular basis as well. <laughs> just to let you know, just to let you know the truth of the situation. It's a, it, it is, it's it's a tougher grind, and yet there's something interesting about it. I'm kind of re- I'm kind of reveling in it as well. It's it's weird. It's a new thing for us. We we will we'll get on with it. Uh, myself and Jan will be back with you next week. We'll settle on a date between ourselves now in a few minutes. Uh, but there's a long gap until the game with Everton. So we'll have the game against Wolves to talk about the game against Everton to look forward to and then I'll be away for a week or so. So maybe Jim might step in and talk about that one with Jan in my absence while I'm marching around his homeland uh, and planting Irish flags left, right and centre. But we will wrap it up there for yet another fantastic show. Thanks very much, Jan. You're welcome, Trevor. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.